Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition, episode number 64 of the Lab Epstein Podcast. As always, it's great to have you in today. We're talking about Jonathan India's swing, breaking that down, our mechanical breakdown series, volume 11. F kind of alluded to it at the end of the show last week, how he didn't like certain swing plane of Jonathan India. We'll get to that during his swing. We're actually going to get to that in just a second here. We're also going to get to his swing breakdown. Plus, Erwin Mercedes retired, then he unretired, and there's something going on there that's really weird. We'll get to that. And we'll also talk about Juan Soto's resurgence in the second half as well. But first, let me bring in successful business owner, my former coach, friend, and co-host. And also, he's a great professional evaluator, as we spoke about last week. His name is Jake Epstein. That's me. However, I like India. It was your guy that I didn't like. His recent swing uh, swing plane, uh, the Blue Jays guy, Austin Martin. That was right. the that was the one I was having. But I, I, I like what I like what India does. And actually, looking at the videos again today, it'll be kind of cool to, to to go through it in slow motion because I really haven't spent a lot of time with it. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting yeah. you say that because um, I keep my receipts, and you did say at the end of the show last week. You don't really like his swing plane very much right now. Austin Martin? No. You said it about Austin Martin, but you said it about John of India, too. I did. I'm getting old, and sometimes I get easily confused. You're only 40. You're not. That's not old. <laughs> 44. 44. Okay, maybe you didn't say it. I don't know. Next week. Two weeks. Maybe I should, yeah. Oh, uh, I'll go back. Don't worry. I'll go back and listen and bust you on it just to make sure. Do it. And then next week, you come back, and then you can bust me on it. Yes. Um, I want to uh, change my World Series pick representing the American League, by the way. Can I do that? Do you mind? Why? Is this some place not part of Champa Bay? It is not. Uh, uh, it's not Champa Bay. Oh. Although I have not said Champa Bay in a few weeks. and I think I'm going to no. go to that next week. Nelson Cruz, though. That was a good pickup. It was. Um, I want to change my World Series pick to the White Sox. I think they're going to make the World Series and eventually lose. Um, and I say that because it's been a weird year coupled with injuries and some squabbles between, or that's what's been reported, right? Mm-hmm. Squabbles between Tony Larusa and his players, and now you're in Mercedes. He is retired and is uh, as unretired. And I did get an email earlier this week regarding Irwin Mercedes, who abruptly retired, and then of course unretired 24 hours later. Uh, this email comes to us. And I want to read it to you here. It comes to us from our loyal listener, JJ, who wrote in a few weeks ago, if you remember, about Irwin Mercedes, and he kind of made fun of him. But um, he writes, JJ, Jim and Jake looks like Irwin Mercedes is done for it now, at least. His hamburger, Yerminator, is now the Terminator. Jake was, Jake was right. Tony LaRusso robbed him of his mojo by criticizing him for swinging at 3-0. and um, thrown by a position player in a blowout. Coaches, beware. It's not what you say. It's what you say to whom that matters. Here's hoping that Yerwin and the Yerminator makes it back to the show. And that is from JJ. And he writes, Shawnee against the world. Um, JJ, I want to let you know <laughs> really quick about Shawnee. The only player I know who has come from Shawnee that has made it to the big leagues is Sean Doolittle, Shawnee High School. That's a guy. And then he went on to the University of Virginia, and the rest is history. Yeah, but he he went to a Shawnee high school in New Jersey, so it's not. I'm, I I don't understand this Shawnee against the world. I think that was their motto or something when they. I, I remember That's JJ cool. saying that. Yeah, said cool. Point. Shawnee against the world. Well, we could say the yeah. lab against the world too, but yes, it's easy to do that. Um, <clears throat> JJ, thanks for writing in, though. All joking aside, let's get to Irwin here. Um, 
JJ, uh, I don't know if he likes urine or doesn't. Um, I don't think what you said a few weeks back about um, Tony La Russa and Erwin Mercedes was wrong in any particular way. Yeah, you just you and I don't think I don't think that yeah. really knocked him. Erwin Mercedes that comment from Tony La Russa knocked him off his game. I think there is a mental baseball problem mentally mm -hmm. that Erwin has. It's mental immaturity, mm -hmm. and I think it's the reason why he did so well in the beginning of the year. And now in the last few months prior to being sent down to AAA, really, really struggled. He just couldn't figure it out mentally and how to make that adjustment. I don't think it had anything really to do with Tony La Russa. I think this whole thing comes from just his mental immaturity right now. Well, it could, but that didn't help. You know, I mean, you get yeah. called out by your manager and your manager doesn't have your back, you know, and, and in fact makes an example out of it. Not just, you know, you, you keep that kind of stuff in the clubhouse. You don't, you don't air your grievances out in the media. So, yeah, I'm sure that pissed him off. And then he probably doesn't have the mental fortitude yet to deal with additional outside stresses like that. And it, it probably snowballed on him. So, yeah, interesting what he's trying to do. I don't know. I mean, he may, you know, have some, you know, mental issues that, you know, he needs to overcome. But maybe he's trying to force a trade. Maybe he doesn't want to be part of that, that hierarchy, part of that organization anymore. And he figures he can get a fresh start with somebody else. Um, I remember my, my dad is kind of a – a funny story, but he was like one of the first guys to ever force a trade because there was a free agency. So he came up with Baltimore and they tried to make him into an outfielder because, because he could run pretty well, but he couldn't see. So he couldn't see the ball off the bat. So he had to play first base. Well, they had Boop Powell as a first baseman. So my dad, I think his first year in pro ball, he went to a ball in Cal California league and was player of the year. Then the next year he skipped double. I went to triple a, uh, won the triple crown at triple a, was a minor league player of the year, not just league player of the year, minor league player of the year. And then he goes to spring training the next year. And after they break camp, they sent him down. And he said, well, screw you guys. Like, I'm not going to do that. And they're like, well, what are you going to do? And so he says, well, I'm going to go home. So I'll see you guys later. So he didn't report back to AAA where he was just player of the year. And he ended up forcing a trade a month later to the Washington Senators the worst team in the league, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's what enabled him to play for Ted Williams a couple of years later. So I, you know, I'm wondering if, if Mercedes is kind of doing that same thing, like, okay, you, you release me, you do whatever you want, but get me out of here. I don't want to be in this environment anymore. And whether or not that will help, I don't really know. And then the side note on that story about my dad, he got offered to become a professional wrestler at that time, WWF or whatever the thing was back then really? in 1967. So it was Vince McMahon senior that offered him a job. <laughs> you're, you're kidding, right? No, not at all. I mean, he was a big burly guy, athletic. <clears throat> so and he had offers to do that. This could have been a completely different show. If your dad would have taken up re professional <laughs> wrestling, yeah, we would be doing, we, we'd be probably doing the 80th stupid wrestling podcast. That's out there. Yes. There's 80 wrestling podcasts. God, I would have loved to see what character my dad could have been. Has he I ever, mean, I ended up, yeah. This, sorry, has he ever been in a, like a wrestling ring? No. No. I have before, believe it or not. Have you? Yeah. I have. Long story. I, I believe we'll, it. We'll, we'll say that for another another day. Okay. But over my, my time being in professional baseball, I've had the chance to be in a professional wrestling ring. And I've had a chance to meet wrestlers. Sting, right? Is, where where oh, do you wrestle? Sting? Yeah. Um, who else? He had uh, like a star on his eye or something. Right. Like, or something like that. Right. Um, Ron Simmons. Was he a big name? I met him. 
Okay. Uh, uh, Leo Rush. Did he ever make any? I met him a few years back. Maryland Championship Wrestling. I don't know if he ever made made a name for himself. Yeah. But they let me go inside the ring. That ring hurts. It really yeah. does. So I don't criticize the performers. I criticize the fans who like wrestling who think it's a the show. No, you just got to appreciate the show. I can't. I I can't do it. It's not real. Okay. <clears throat> well, it's not. You know. I don't want to speak it. Whatever. I'm not going to speak out of turn. Um, I'm more UFC. Um, okay. But also, I want to just kind of circle back there for a second to what you said about him trying to force a trade. If I'm like a scout or something and I'm assigned to go look at your Mercedes, I'm going to come back with saying I wouldn't trade for this guy unless we have a really strong clubhouse. And I think back to, say, like a Josh Donaldson when he was traded to the Blue Jays in 2015. They had a lot of strong leaders in that clubhouse but once he became the guy in 2018 with the blue jays he became disruptive because that's his type of personality yeah it's just the way he is he wasn't like that with the indians because they had strong leaders in late 2018 mm-hmm. same with the braves in 2019 well how about now with the minnesota twins the twins are one of the worst teams in the league and he's one of the face and front guys of that team i'm not saying your mercedes is like that but a guy who in my opinion with your right now being where he is mentally that could affect a weaker clubhouse. I don't think it'll affect the White Sox clubhouse if it gets brought up this year during the stretch run to try to help them push for the postseason because I think there's enough strong leaders in that clubhouse, including the manager, who you say you don't agree with him calling him out, but and that's fine. But I think he is strong enough to control his clubhouse still, and there's a bunch of leaders in that clubhouse where they can still overcome all these injuries and be one of the best teams in the American League. Yeah. I hope I articulated that. Yeah, when you're get out through, your through all of our wrestling out. talk, I, I hope I articulated that correctly. <laughs> Who's your favorite no, wrestler? I, I, Sorry, I, I hope he ends up back there because he's a really fun guy to watch play. Yeah, I agree. Um, but again, do you want to go to your job if you know your boss hates you? Oh, I don't think he hates him though. I don't know. I don't. I don't think that's the case. Then why did he want to quit? Because he got sent down. Because he's because he's, in, because he's immature. Right. That's why he wanted to quit. What would yeah. your dad say? What would your dad say to, to, to that? Oh, it's just say soft. Okay. Like, right, That's what it is. Play. That's what right. it is then. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know. Yeah, regardless. I mean, you could have a manager berate the hell out of you. You're telling you me Ted Williams never, never called out your dad or anybody. <laughs> Jim Fergosi never called. Right. Joe Torrey never called out people. Always. All right. And some people can handle it and some people can't. You know, you look at, you know, an old school manager like Tony La Russa, Dusty Baker, they're doing really well right now. But you say, well, I don't like the way they, not you, but I don't like the way that they manage or I don't like the way they carry themselves. They're all old school. Okay, well, who do you want? You want a new school manager like, say, an Aaron Boone. And the Yankees are, and it's not his fault, but he doesn't have mm-hmm. the type of personality to where he can get around analytics and get around the people actually making the decisions mm-hmm. and, and step up and say, hey, I want to make this, I want to do this, or I want to do this. I mean, they lost really badly the other night to the Red Sox. Yeah. Really bad. I mean, so who who pick your poison? You want you well, want, want manager who's going to hold you? Right? He's a new school guy, and the Giants yeah, but, destroying but, everybody. But he failed the first time in Philadelphia. He sure did. Because he didn't hold guys accountable. I, I believe. I don't know. I'm not in that clubhouse. But I think that's the issue. And I think that maybe the Phillies is just a bit terrible organization in a terrible town. I don't know. 
<laughs> How many people just got so pissed off and turned it off right now? No, I'm just kidding. We do but, have listeners in South Jersey and uh, yeah, no, Pennsylvania. The East Coast big, but no, I mean, why is Kepler successful in San Francisco that had zero talent on paper? Well, zero. That's not true. They had. You don't even know anybody's name on that team except Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt. That's it. Are you sure? Buster Posey, who hadn't had a good year in five years, and all of a sudden, I don't this know. Guy rolls Darren Ruff. Town. Darren Ruff. That? Darren Ruff. Yeah, whatever. Johnny Cueto. I'm talking the, the when the season started, maybe Cueto. No, I knew, I knew, the, I knew. But why did he fail so miserably at Philadelphia? Was it the general? Was it the management? I think it was the combination of the town. He didn't know how to handle the town. Didn't that know could how to be. be the front guy of an organization. I think he was wrapped up in his ways. I think that on the fan side, they found him to be weird and too eccentric, and they didn't like yeah. analytics. So they kind of the fans kind of sports talk radio and stupid podcasts. <laughs> Not ours though. Our podcast is stupid, <laughs> but stupid yeah. podcasts and everybody else in the media maybe forced him out a little bit i i heard tell that he wasn't exactly liked in the organization by a lot of people there's mm-hmm. people that in the people in the organization actually told me that i so there's a lot of factors that go into it but i'm saying he's on his second try but if you want to talk about yeah. philadelphia right now look at joe girardi who was a no-nonsense manager with the yankees and yeah. didn't connect with the connects with the clubhouse right. anymore in new york that's why they didn't resign mm-hmm. him because his contract did expire he didn't really get fired i hate when people say that he kind of got what then it was contract laid off whatever you want to call it now in it philadelphia keys. but now in philadelphia it looks like he's changed not for the better yeah. 48 and 48 going into Saturday. Yeah. So pick your, like I said, pick your poison. Yeah. No, you got to be tough. And I'm not saying that Larissa should not have been tough on Mercedes, but he shouldn't have been tough in press conferences. That's fair. Yeah. Right. Like it's yeah. a, you, you grab him by the Jersey and you pull him into the, into the, you know, walkway back to the clubhouse and you, you know, you can beat the tar out of them or verbally abuse them all you want, you know, to a point, but to make your point, but you don't sit down at the press conference after and just say, yeah, he's an idiot. <laughs> you know, that was a stupid, like, you just don't do it. Cause then you have sound bites and, you know, I mean, we can talk about life in general now and the amount of depression that goes on with kids and with young adults, because everything they see is in front of them on their phone. And Mercedes is just sitting there. He's a young guy and he's looking at all these people that hate him. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what he sees all the time. And where did it start? It's a soundbite from his manager. So, I mean, there's a lot that you can tear into this thing. Um, it could be a guy that's immature. It could be a guy that's in a terrible slump and doesn't want to get out of it. He doesn't want to change anything. Mm-hmm. And the organization has had enough of him too. And so he's just a child, you know, and, oh, I quit. Okay. You're playing both sides here. I can kind of see it. I play all sides. There might be three sides I'm playing. How are you playing three sides? There's only two sides to it. Cal State Fullerton. Um, who's your favorite? We think on a different level. Who was your favorite wrestler growing up? My favorite wrestler growing up. Yeah, lighten the mood here. I was a big Jim Hacksaw Duggan fan. Gosh. I mean, Jim was a guy that probably didn't have all all the right chromosomes. But he had a two by four. Mm-hmm. I liked him. I liked the Ultimate Warrior. That guy was pretty. He was a maniac. Oh, the uh, the guy who would like go crazy and yeah. And I liked Jake the Snake Roberts because my name was Jake. Yeah, and he was big and tall. 
And in college, I like The Undertaker because my college coach called me The Undertaker. Why do he call you The Undertaker? I guess because I was just bigger. I was bigger than everyone else at Fullerton. We, we did not have large humans on that team. Did you know that The Undertaker just retired like a year ago? Yes. I saw that on Twitter. Great podcast. You know, because podcasts are great. Like if, if you decide, you know, hey, I, I love the lab podcast, but, you know, maybe give Joe Rogan a try because I heard he's pretty good. Right. But there's one with The Undertaker. Yeah. It's awesome. Awesome. It's awesome because he was a big MMA guy. Like mm-hmm. he used to study all the MMA, go to all the MMA fights and kind of yeah. study that stuff. But I mean, this guy is like every part of his body has been replaced and he just chiefed it out. He's constantly got repaired and still wrestled even with, you know, surgery like two mm-hmm. weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Mental toughness. So your dad could have been wrestling against all those guys if he would have chosen wrestling. Yeah. And wouldn't be able to walk anymore. I want to talk to him. Uh, I, I'm going to tell him how he made a life mistake not going into wrestling. <laughs> um, all right, we'll move on here. Um, let's talk a little bit about Juan Soto's resurgence, and people will see it on the graphic, his um, numbers here in the second half. I, I did see something during the Home Run Derby with Juan Soto that made me – a light went off in my head that kind of made me think he may have a big second half. He hit a couple of balls. You probably noticed this if you did watch the home run derby. He hit a couple of balls, line drives with this tight backspin that just kept rising. Mm. But he hit him to left center and center field. And I've always noticed with Juan Soto, when he's going really well, that's where he's hitting balls because that's mm. his swing profile to me. I mean, yeah, he'll hit bombs into like the fourth, fifth, yeah. seventh deck of, you know, a ballpark. <laughs> but he, and he'll hit it to right field, meaning, but he, if you see some of his home runs from 2019, I mean, he goes opposite field or he goes to left center field. And I right. saw that in the home run derby and they were traveling over the wall because it's, you know, as you know, it's Colorado, right. but they were traveling over the wall and it was just a really nice swing. Everything was swing was on plane. Everything was where it needed to be. I don't, I'm not going to get into it. I'll let you get into it. Yeah. But does that have something to do with it? Did the home run derby actually fix Juan Soto and, and, my second question to that, what is going right for him? Why, why is he going right right now? What did he tinker with? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if the home run derby has ever helped a player, <laughs> quite honestly. Usually it's just the opposite. I don't want to do the home run derby because, you know, I'm sitting, I'm trying to launch, I'm trying to swing up a little bit more because the BP ball is coming in slow and mm-hmm. some guys will get into trouble with that. Um, Soto will get it, in, into habits of, of swinging up too much. Uh, and he, he gets into those grooves and that's when he really only hits balls to right center. Well, you know, if he's a little bit late, he'll pop up to left center. And if he's a little bit early, he'll pull balls foul or hook balls foul. So I think when he's good, when he's a little bit flatter because he stays behind the ball so well, even when he does his like no stride, um, two strike deal, he just stays back behind the vertical axis so well. So he naturally, it's easy for him to swing up because his body is constantly staying back, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you start to sit back and then you're also starting to lead up with your lead arm too much, then that barrel drops ever so slightly and then you end up swinging up too much. And so his contact zone, you know, if his timing is within, you know, maybe a 10-inch window, then he's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's outside that 10-foot window, now all of a sudden he's fouling balls off or he's flying out to left and he's, and he's grounded out to the pull side. So by taking that 10 inches and flattening off the swing, now all of a sudden 10 inches is 20 inches. And now all of a sudden everybody says, oh, his timing is better. Yeah. yeah. Well, his timing is probably the same. It's just his window's bigger to miss. 
So if he misses that window by 10%, he's still hitting a line drive somewhere, hitting a home run somewhere to the pull side instead of hooking it foul. So it, it likely all comes down to swing. I haven't seen it. It likely all comes down to swing plane. And the fact that he probably borrowed from, from deep in the zone, meaning his barrel didn't drop as much. He kept it up a little longer there. And when that happens, usually we stay on playing with that pitch out in front longer. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that makes our timing seem better because we're in, we're on plane for a longer amount of time out in front where we normally hit balls. Mm-hmm. Last week also too, he hit a home run to the opposite field. Um, I think it was the first or second inning too. Beautiful swing. So it mm-hmm. goes to your point. I think that maybe it's, it was a swing plane. Issue and and when you, when you have the ability to do that, to trust that I can let the ball get deep mm-hmm. and not foul it off or swing under it. When I have that ability where I can, I don't have to jump. I don't have to be overly aggressive to get to balls. Cause you know, that's what happens. Like I got to hit it out in front. Like I want all my guys to get the ball out in front, right. but if they're hitting it out in front by jumping, right. By being aggressive with their legs or their head, you know, trying to get it out in front, that doesn't work. We want your body to be relaxed and to rotate behind the ball back, you know, over your back leg a little bit more. We just want your hands to get out in front. And so what happens is sometimes when we're trying to get the ball out in front more and we're trying to hit the ball harder, we get tense and aggressive and then our body starts to, 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 to lunge and then we get out in front of everything and that's a bad, bad spot to be. So I think maybe now he's relaxed, staying back, feeling like I can let the ball get deep and not pop it up. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he's just more chill at the plate. Um, really quickly, we always have new listeners, and um, this was something I thought of earlier in the week, and I wrote it down here. Which stats for you when evalu- evaluating hitter do you feel are most important? We touched on it way, way back, one mm-hmm. of our first few episodes, but we, again, always have new listeners, so let's kind of dive right back into that. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm a somewhat of an old school, um, you know, how many runs do you score? Because you might be a small guy, right? So do you score runs? Do you get on, you know, on base percentage, obviously, um, and then slugging percentage. So OPS for me, if you have a good OPS, you're probably a good hitter. You're getting on base, whether you're hitting the ball or they're afraid of you. But if they're afraid of you, it's because you're hitting the ball well. Um, and you're also hitting the ball hard for extra extra bases. So, um, you know, I, I, I do like OPS and um, – you know, and on base percentage, I think you fill your lineup with the mix of those people that get on base and those people that, that hit the ball, hit doubles, you know, hit the ball hard. Then I think as a manager, as a coach, you're, you're going to score runs and, and hopefully win more games. Um, average. I, I do look at average. Oh, you know, maybe I'm the only one that looks at average, but average just kind of tells me how many, you know, are, are guys just outhouse or penthouse, you know, are they, just trying to launch everything or are they scrapping? Are they having competitive at bats? Mm-hmm. Maybe how many two strike hits a, a player has, you know, are they scrappy? I don't care about a two strike home run. I know a lot of people do like, you know, but a two strike home run in a, in the eighth inning when you're down five runs down four runs and you're the only, yeah, it doesn't like matter. it doesn't matter. Yeah. You're going to get good pitches to hit, mm-hmm. but in pressure situations, you know, are you able to stay competitive? So OPS, so depending on the profile of the hitter, OPS, yeah. it, it profiles for every hitter. And batting yeah. average maybe is more important, say, to a gap-to-gap type hitter. Or yeah, is it you can still have every a, hitter? I don't know. You can still have a decent OPS as a leadoff guy. Right. 
you know, because you're getting on base, maybe you're on base percentage is 400, yeah. you know, or something like that. And that would be crucial for that team, even though their slugging percentage might be lower than somebody that's hitting three, four, five, or six, mm-hmm. their on base percentage is picking up the difference on that. What stat shows more depth than a hitter? OPS or batting average or any other stat? More depth of a hitter. Think about it. It's like, it's like with like, like a, a girl. Right, trying to date or something. She's really good looking, but she doesn't have much depth to her. You know, not much up there. Could be like what about for our softball listeners? What if there was a guy and he was good looking, but same thing. He was just a prick, right? There's probably more more of that with the softball (laughs) listeners. Definitely more of that. Um, I think it depends on the hitter. It depends what hole I'm trying to fill. If I'm trying to you know, Phil, like I said, three, four, five, six, I want a high OPS, right. Or a high slugging percentage. If it's earlier in the, in the order, I want a high on base percentage and I want a limited amount of strikeouts. Yeah. Okay. So I want guys that, you know, if it's my number one or two hitter or, or maybe my seven, eight, nine hitters, mm-hmm. I don't want those guys striking out once every three times up. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to want a higher average and a much lower strikeout rate from those hitters. My middle of the order litter, uh, hitters, if they strike out more, I'm okay, because maybe if they try to just put it in play, maybe they roll over and it's a double play ball, right? right? So I'd rather have them maybe one out of 10 times instead of a double play, they hit a, they hit a two or three run home run. So again, you have to cater it towards your line and building a lineup and, and what players you have in that lineup and what you're leaning on them towards. But early... I don't really care slugging percentage, my number one or two hitters. I care more about on-base percentage, and I would care about their strikeout rate. Yeah, and walk rate. But that's me. And and, and, and walks, right? Their on-base percentage. Yeah, okay. All right. And what about bottom-of-the-order hitters? Same thing. Maybe higher batting. Yeah, maybe maybe you're you know, eight, and, eight and nine hitters, mm-hmm. you know? We're really talking – I think we're talking old school here because, you know, analytics would say the number two hitter has to be the best hitter on the team. Right. Right. And then, then really they're not caring as, as much about strikeouts. And yeah, if that hitter strikes out eight times, but hits a three run home run once a week. Yeah. Maybe that three run home run means something. Maybe. But a lot of times guys hit home run. I mean, there are so many home runs that are hit that don't mean anything. Yeah. Like I turn on the highlights and it's like, Oh, this guy is, you know, 26th home run. And it's a fastball right down the middle in the eighth inning. And the team's, you know, down by four runs. Yeah. Like, woo, there was no pressure in that <laughs> at bat. There was zero pressure in that at bat. So, but what is it when the game, it's a one run game. What kind of hitter are you? Can you find, so I, I just, I feel like if a player hits 40 home runs, I'd love to look like this would be fun for, um, JJ, I'm going to put JJ on this. Okay. From Shawnee. Against the world. How many, how many home runs last year? Like we go, wow, last year was kind of silly. I guess we could do this year. You know, let's see how many home runs. uh, Who's hitting a lot of home runs? Is Mike Trout playing this year, by the way? Is he playing? Yes. He's on the. I was just going to say, I didn't even hear his name. I haven't heard his name in months. He's on the injured list currently. Oh, he is. He's okay. So he's hurt. Uh, Shohei just took over. But I mean, we could look at Shohei and say, you know, how many of his home runs changed the course of a game, right? Like, we're put there, put his team ahead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Were they already ahead by three runs? JJ's going to have to do a lot of research. That's so much research. JJ, yeah. you don't have to do that. But well, I mean, you know what, JJ, if it's good for the show, that's can... right. It's good for everyone. But I mean, you can take a Josh Donaldson, Nelson Cruz. You can take any of these guys. They've hit, you know, 25 home runs, 20 home runs. How many of those home runs were fluff? I guarantee well, I you, tell you with Nelson, 25 to 30% of them are fluff. But the, you're taking two guys, though, this year who aren't on a very good team. So they may, the home runs that you say are fluff, you know, they may have hit more fluff home runs rather than if they were on a better team. Nelson Cruz, though, the other night right. when he debuted with the Rays at a home run, that was very meaningful in that game. Yeah. A Nelson Cruz, I would, I mean, that guy's not young. 40, 39, 40. And he's so good and he's yeah. so clutch. Yeah. And he's such a tough out. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. They're, they're, those are guys that I pay. High character makeup. One more thing before we jump into Jonathan India's swing and his mechanical mm-hmm. breakdown. And we're doing a mechanical breakdown series, volume 11 today. Jonathan India, go back and listen and watch in the archives on our YouTube page, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast on YouTube, plus Apple, Google, Spotify, and email us your questions, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. If you do have any questions about Jonathan India or anything else, or you want to make fun of players, as JJ likes to do with you and Mercedes. Kidding, JJ, of course. Um, we do have previous mechanics. Oh, they're not making fun of us. They can make fun of us. We do have pre- previous mechanical breakdown series, by the way. Um, that I think have we done a Mookie bets? We have not. We'll do him though very soon. We got to do another softball gal too. We, I think I'm thinking maybe Bailey Bailey Hemphill mm-hmm. uh, should be one of our mechanical. We have Shohei Otani coming up. We're doing him. That'll be fun. Uh-huh. We might be doing Cedric Mullins too. I think. So there's a top of the order guy who you, you're going to look at is OPS and batting average. Those are the statistics you'll look at with him when you're trying to figure out his hitting profile, right? Sal. Who? Freelick. Oh, can we do him too? Sure. Oh, yes. Finally. I've been, I've been waiting. He's in. You know he's in. He's been he signed for more than his slot value. Well, good for him. I know. He, good for him. I can't wait to see him in the big leagues in two and a half years, two years. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's hope so. Mm, I think he will be. Uh, I'm glad we, we can finally get to him. Good. Okay. Yeah. We did Spencer Torkelson last year yeah. in the archives as well. Um, one more thing, though, before we jump into a swing, hitting a low pitch. Uh, there's a lot of theories out there how to hit the low pitch. Let's just let's end all theories now and let's give your opinion. It's not your opinion. Let's give your factual analysis. How do you hit the damn low pitch? You have to be able to recognize the low pitch and you have to train the low pitch and you have to get your body down to hit the low pitch. So. Yeah. Um, there's a difference between training how to hit the low pitch and just hitting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you train to hit the low pitch, mm-hmm. you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. You're going to maybe hit the low pitch, but you won't hit anything from the thighs to the belly button. I think if you train from the thighs to the belly button, and then you train a little bit to hit the low pitch, your body will move the right way to get to that low pitch. It'll lean over a little bit, right? Your spine will tilt in a little bit. That'll drop your barrel. That'll decrease your bat vertical angle to get there. You'll sink into your legs more. So it's a natural move. So there's a definite progression when I'm teaching hitters um, to hit different pitches. I know that I want to get them to hit the low pitch, but I'm not going to start there because mm-hmm. 95% of players I see can hit the low pitch because they, you know, somebody told them to set up the tee at their knees. Yeah. And so they drop their barrel 
Mm-hmm. Um, like a golfer would, you know, they drop the shaft, if you will, or the bat, they'll drop their hands, they'll drop their elbow and they'll loop underneath and hit that low pitch. Mm-hmm. And then the problem is you raise it four inches to like the middle of the thigh, which is the best pitch to hit, or even the top of the thigh, especially. And now all of a sudden their first move is down because they've been grooving that low pitch mm-hmm. and they're toast. So, so that's, that's, they're getting disconnected. Absolutely. Their hands are leaving their body a little bit too early. So yes, you have to sink into your legs more. Yes. You got to drop your barrel a little bit more. Um, but it should stay in the envelope if you teach them properly to hit other pitches. I I mean, I guess that's the best way I would say it. That's how I teach it. Certification. That's how we, I teach my coaches to do it because it, it makes it easier on you and the player and you don't have to fix the problem. Because it'll create a problem. Um, one more thing. Um, when is certification? Certification is October 26. Hmm. 20. I'm sorry. October 16th and 17th. Yeah. In College Station, Texas. See that for all of you um, wannabe YouTubers or all you TikTokers and all you other fake influencers, you scrum scum of the earth, all of you trying to be celebrities. That right there is what's called a segue. Mm-hmm. I'm also doing a coach's training. I hate Alaska. YouTube influencers. Influ- I hate YouTube influencers and Instagram influencers. By the way, I really do. Like they're just this scum of society go ahead i'm sorry as as do i you know why because my teenage kids that's what that's where they get their news that's where they get their news and that's what they you know they think it's you know ugh. Yeah. i wish well, I, I i wish i wish that that right was taken away for people social media i wish social media would just go away yeah i wish god would listen to me when i say well what were your camps by the way sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no, I'm going to do a, a special event up in, in Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska, mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of September, mm-hmm. uh, Coach's Clinic, mm-hmm. and it's going to be with Coach Snyder, uh, Texas A&M softball coach. Mm-hmm. We're going to go up there and, and uh, teach a bunch of organizations and coaches from all over, not just Alaska, but a lot of the Pacific Northwest. So if you want to come up for that, maybe get some fishing in while you're there. Right. Be a beautiful part of the world, and you could even learn how to hit the low pitch. All right, you ready to get to Jonathan India? You know what else I hate, by the way, too? One more thing. I hate people on, on social media who use scientific terms to describe hitting. It's very annoying. My dad said Am I right? 20 years ago, yeah. why do people have to – if they use big words, they try to sound important when it comes to hitting. Yeah. Scapula loading. Yeah. I mean, this is flexion and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The neurosystem and blah. It's, it's like, what are you talking about? You know? Kids, like, I mean, you should tell a 12 year old kid that they're going to be like, oh, well, I'm really impressed. I'm really impressed. Here, this is how you're impressed. Find a barrel hill line drive somewhere. All right. Are we ready for Jonathan, India? Yeah. I was going to read you a tweet uh, okay. uh, from a random person. Uh, I won't say his name. Uh, let me see here. Let me try to find it. You know what? Not important. I don't care. Let's get to Jonathan India. Just so you know, I, I don't like you hitting Twitter 
and Instagram people who use big words. Big words. Don't confuse people. Stop don't try to confuse everybody. You're not. Let me show crazy. you something special, though. My you know what it's like. Ep, you know what it's like? It's like it's like when when like a bride has like 12 bridesmaids. It's like you don't have that many friends. Stop trying to impress everybody. You know, that's like people on who do this hitting thing on Twitter with trying to use these big words. You don't know what you're talking about. Stop trying to impress everybody. What's your daughter give you? Our intern. When I coached at Mizzou a couple of years ago in art class, she made a tiger. Tiger. That's a tiger. Yeah. But it's also a pen holder. You have no. to put you have to put the tail. Yeah. It's a nice pen you got there. In the, <laughs> there's the hole. Hey. You gotta put the pen in that hole. Sorry, it cracks me up every time I look at it. <laughs> uh, yes, our intern. Okay, we learned how to fly fish today. I took her to a fly fish class. That was fun. Okay. To Not Jonathan India. India. Mm-hmm. Uh, who didn't spend much time in the minor leagues, you would know longer than I did. But if we look at this swing, so Jim, the swing we're looking at is the, it's India double to left center. They're playing the Brewers. Yeah. So you can follow along there. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to take him, you know, to his stride. And and the reason I asked about Mookie Betts is this is a very similar, this would be as close to a Mookie Betts um, movement as I've seen a, in any big leaguer mm-hmm. ever. Okay. So if you watch him come down from toe touch to heel plant mm-hmm. and watch his knees open. So his knees open and he gets a ton of stretch. So if you look mm-hmm. at him in his heel plant position, number one, his head stays behind center. Now this camera angle isn't 90 degrees. It's a little bit out in front, kind of towards the middle of the dugout, yeah. but uh, his head is definitely back of center. So I'm going to draw a line. It's probably not as back as I'm showing it, but I guarantee you his middle of his head is probably over his right hip flexor. So not only is he back, but if you look at where his chest is facing and then you look at where his hips are facing, right, there's a huge separation. I mean, that's a very big separation of where those arrows, one's facing back and one's facing forward. And that's kind of where Mookie Betts, is so athletic. Um, and, and then the great spot about this position is I can, I can, I can get fooled. Now we're going to see on his other swing. He, he does get fooled. So we'll look at that in a second, but from here you can get fooled, man. You can, your knee can bend your weight, you, your front hip could slide. You could go forward, but if you keep your shoulders back like this, as long as possible and your hands back, you're going to be just fine. Okay. So now let's continue after heel plan. He starts to rotate And you can see his head pulls back a little bit. He's trying to pull this left arm out in front of his chest. Okay. So this is not, if you look at his left, so I brought him back to right after heel plant. If you look at the patch, the reds patch, or you look at his arm guard and you look at his sternum. Okay. These two things are not moving together, which is what everybody tries to teach when they're turning he's actually pulling his lead arm in front of his chest okay his his arm is moving faster than his chest in this position to get to this pitch and maybe because it's an inside pitch i don't know but we can't always be the same as hitters that's the the reason that that i'm making or, or bringing this up is we can't every pitch is different And we have to be able to use our hands properly when we need to use our hands. We can't just turn and expect everything to follow. It doesn't work like that. So, um, again, I'm going to bring him back to, um, you know, his approach position when the, when the barrel, 
uh, and the Navarin line, right, when the bat's parallel to the batter's box line. And I'm going to draw this line through the pitch plane. Okay. So it's kind of coming down like this to the catcher's mitt. And we can see his barrel really doesn't get that far underneath that line. I mean, maybe way back there, but by the time that barrel reaches the middle of his body, you know, he can probably at least make contact here. He's going to hit it well there. He smokes it here. This is a double. Okay. And then you can see he kind of extends really well, but his barrel does come off of that plane a little bit early. So if I bring it back to here, I would say he leaves here. So he's really only on plane for, uh, I mean, it's not terrible, but it's probably 10 or 12 inches. He's on plane, but then he comes off. So anything out here, out in front of his front shin here, he's not going to be on plane. So what I would normally look at is, did he extend, right? You know, usually if people come off a plane out in front of their front foot, it's because they didn't extend. Well, if I bring this back, he's totally extended. If you look at his right wrist, it's really weird. So bring him to his power V position when both arms extend. There's one arm. Here's two arms. You can see the bat shoots out kind of the, the middle of those. So it's a great power V, but notice his top hand. See how it's, it's, it's bowed? It's like his palm is not up in his power V. His palm is like backwards towards his head. This is the telltale sign typically of someone that is um, has, a, has a wrapped bat in their stance um, where their big knuckles are almost lined up. So if you bring him back to his stance, I mean, I don't know if I can zoom in here, but I will. It's going to get very blurry, you know, and, and I still can't even tell. But if you look here, he's probably kind of wrapped yeah. would be my guess. Okay, that top hand his, is wrapped, yeah. His top yeah. hand is wrapped. And so what we do, and there's a lot of big – the first person I ever saw was Bobby Abreu was like this. The first person I ever looked at on video, Bobby Abreu, was very similar to this. And so what he does is he has this right wrist. Now, I have a great player I work with who I hope is listening to this. His name is Shea Grady. He's from uh, – oh, Lord, now they're going to hate me. What is the name of that town? Cranford. Did I say that right? Cranford. I think it's Cranford. It's in New Jersey, uh, kind of northern New Jersey. Sent, uh, yeah, it's definitely more on the north end. Um, and he has the same exact move. Like his right wrist looks just like this. And I probably have three or four other players. I just can't think of them that do the same thing. So typically if it does that, that barrel might go up a little soon. So instead of him getting to the back of the ball and going this way on this line on about a five degree upslope, he's going to come off that line and go up at like a 15 degree upslope. So if you're hitting a lot of um, ground balls, a lot of it has to do with that right hand. So what you can do is either flatten that right wrist, which is very difficult. Okay. Or he would have to adjust his swing and extend lower. Uh, Bryce Harper does this too, by the way. Um, if you look at Bryce Harper's top hand wrist, it does the same thing. So it meaning in order to compensate instead of his right arm extending on this line, it's fully extended here. That right arm would have to probably extend so he doesn't stay on. So he, so you're saying he doesn't stay on plane after contact. He cuts off. He does. He comes up just yes. a little bit more, even though he's extending through it. Yeah. If I put a number on that, so I'm going to bring him to contact. I'm going to put a line on his barrel. Okay. And then I'm going to go up a few frames. 
through his barrel, he, his frames after contact, he's going up at like 23 degrees. Okay. You want to be at like 15 out in front like that. Mm -hmm. So this will hurt him. This, this will hurt him. I mean, and this is just one swing we're looking at and I don't study him. So I don't, you know, he, maybe this is the only time he's ever done that. But if I were his hitting coach, that would be a place that I would start to try to adjust so that I could keep him on plane longer. And maybe one out of every ground balls he hits to the to the left side is a line drive in the gap. And this pitch is um, on the inner half, correct? And this pitch is on the inner half. Where does he hit this? You said right center. Does he hit it? To you know, it says left center on oh, my center. title. That's what so, I thought. Yeah, that's what it looks it, like. But it, it, I, I think the reason is, is because of the way the camera shot. Like, okay. I think if the camera was moved to the left, it would look like he's hitting it more out in front. Yeah. Well, he took advantage yeah, it looks I mean, like I, of a mistake here. Because if it looks I play like this through and I watch him look, he looks like he's looking to left center at the end of the swing. Yeah. Because his hair comes through. So um, I'm going to pull up his other swing here. If you have a, questions or something you want to throw well, out there. I was just going to say that I think the pitcher missed with badly with his spot because you see how much the catcher's glove moves. Certainly did. Yeah. So, so that's, but, that but you mean? know what? That's a big league hitter though. That's Take right. advantage of the mistakes. That's a bad mistake. I think he missed the pitcher, whoever it was, missed plate wide. And uh, India hit it very, very hard. And that's what hitting's all about, folks. Yes. I mean, it really is. It's hitting pitchers' mistakes, not fouling it off. He could have taken that pitch. Mm -hmm. He could have fouled it off. He could have popped it up. He could have gotten jammed. Yeah. Instead, he totally took advantage of it. And that's the key to good hitting. And you know what? I'm looking at this next clip here. It looks like he's hitting a low pitch, which we touched on just a couple of minutes yes. ago. Yes. So this is a great clip here, um, not to support the haircut chain of great clips, but um, this is one where this pitch is totally down. It's hard to say how low because he wears his pants above his knees. Yeah. And his socks don't even go all the way up that far, so you're seeing some tights. I think it's <laughs> a, little bit, a little bit below his knees. It's pretty low. So it's definitely below his knees. And, and we just looked how much different this swing was than the last. If you bring him to heel plant, what yeah. does he look like? He looks like he did in the last one. He looks like every great big league hitter. But you can see how aggressive his knees are at heel plant, right? His back knees in a lot. His front knees open a lot. His yeah. hands and chest are back. What a wonderful position here. But from here, watch him sink down. Love that. Yeah, like his back shin is going down. His front leg isn't straightening as, as soon to keep him down there. Okay, he's got to get down with his body. Now, the cool part about this is he's hitting this pitch out in front. Okay, now this is a different view. We're from behind now. So this pitch isn't, you know, it looks like it's like 14 inches in front of his front foot. It's probably like right even with his front toes would be my guess. Maybe maybe an inch or two in front of his front toes in reality where this pitch is. So, but what's great about this is if we if I draw that same line on the pitch plane, okay, coming down here, right to the catcher's mitt. Look at how his barrel gets to that plane late, not early, not back by his back leg, but he doesn't. His barrel doesn't hit the plane, not the bat, the barrel until probably right here. And then his barrel is on it there, on it there, on it there, on it there. He hits it there. And then even here, he's going to extend lower. So his barrel stayed on plane here. So he's probably on plane and it's way harder to be on plane on lower pitches. Like you're not going to be on plane as long on lower pitches, but he was actually on plane longer than this on this pitch than he was the pitch that was more up and in that he came off of. So 
this had a this was a great extension point. You can see his right arm. If we just looked at this this power V position, here's one arm, here's the other arm, here's the bat. Mm-hmm. So let me do that again. I'm going to redraw this. So if I draw an arm, uh, a line down his right arm, a line draw down his left arm, and then the bat, and we just looked at that, you know, most people would think that he kind of swung like this. He swung down through the ball all the way to there, but that's not how it works. That's why video is so important and still shots, you know, kind of tell a different story, but he may have felt like he swung down here. Maybe he felt like he swung up. I don't really care what he felt. The barrel goes down, down, down without going under that plane, right? We don't want to get under that plane too much. We want to get to that plane right on the inside of our front knee. Uh, I remember my dad saying that before we even looked at video. Try to get on plane in the inside of your front knee, and then you want to stay on plane as long as you can, and that's exactly what he did. So if you look at the difference, what's that? On a low pitch, sorry to cut you off. You're on a roll there. On a low pitch. You should feel if you're staying connected, you should a cue could be you should feel like you're swinging down to the baseball while sinking into your legs. Correct. Yeah. Or, or is yeah, that it's going to feel that way? Absolutely. Yeah. So I tell players we're going to get low. We're going to sink. Okay. You know, one of the quick cues I give players is, you know, pretend you're striding. And I don't care how tall you are when you stride. Right. You can be straight up and down. But once your heel plants and you start to rotate, I want you to pretend that you're in a room and there's the ceiling mm-hmm. and you got to keep your head under that ceiling. Now, on most pitches, guys don't or girls, right? They don't move their head above that line. You can see here because the pitch is so low and that's right at the bottom of the knees. Um, he, his head actually probably went down and it went down because he had to lean in to get to this pitch down and away. Mm-hmm. And he still was able to hit it out in front. I mean, there, here's a, you know, talk about debunking, you know, a lot of fallacies that are out there is, oh, you got to let the outside pitch get really deep. Yeah. Right. I mean, look at the catcher's mitt, right? The catcher's right foot is on the outside catcher's box line, right? Mm-hmm. And he's reaching across his box. This pitch is outside. There's like no doubt that this pitch is outside. And he's hitting this ball no deeper probably than his front toes. Okay. Now, I don't want guys to hit it that far out in front. But maybe right here at his front heel, okay, you know, and again, the camera's off. So just think about moving everything, your eyes back about, you know, maybe six or eight inches. This ball isn't as out in front as it looks. But again, you know, you want to hit most pitches at your front toes and then the pitch that's deep, you know, hit here. And the smaller this window between the the pitch hitting out in front and deep in the zone, the better your timing is going to be. If you're trying to hit some pitches here, and then you're trying to hit some pitches way back here. You know, that's a difference of probably like six or seven miles an hour. That's going to be hard for your timing. But if you have proper mechanics and you extend the right way at the right time, then our timing window here, instead of having to be like 30 inches, only has to be 20 inches between a pitch inside and a pitch outside. And then you're going to just be more consistent. Mm-hmm. I wonder what his batting average is on pitches that are low in the zone. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I know it was, uh, you know, it was a thousand on on this one. What do you feel? What do you feel? Who's more? Uh, this is a broad question. I don't know if you can answer it. Who do you feel is a more valuable hitter? Somebody who can hit the high pitch with more consistency, or somebody who can hit the low pitch with more consistency? And which do you feel is harder to do? Jim. Yeah. It's been fun. It's been fun. I I feel like, 
Howard Stern is you're going to take you're asking very good questions. That's a I mean, this question. might be the best. I bet you people. This is a it. phenomenal question that no one has ever asked me before. You're lying. They have. I am not. This is a phenomenal question. Okay. Do, you know what? At the end of the year, just before we answer the question, yeah, everybody out. I might there, forget. For every organization, I'm going to do a data, a hitting data project, and I'm going to rank the best high ball hitters and the best low ball hitters, and we're going to figure out which one of those, which group is more valuable to their team based off all statistics that are involved. I just gave away a project. Now somebody's going to do and. and yeah, I mean, I can look at. Um, Go ahead, answer the. I'm sorry. I, I, I can look at a player and be like, "You want to pitch this player down, or you want to pitch this player up?" Right. I can look at video and tell people that. Yeah. So we have to backtrack a little bit. And is this current day? If it's current day, then I want guys that handle pitches up. If it's six or seven years ago and earlier when guys were throwing, well, maybe not that much, maybe four years and earlier, and guys are throwing down a lot of sinkers, you know, mm -hmm. down, guys aren't throwing as hard, lower spin yeah. rates, then I would want guys that were probably better low ball hitters. Mm -hmm. um, Altuve hit a pitch the other day at his neck with about a three-degree vertical bat angle mm -hmm. that nobody should have hit. It was up and away, and he hit it in the Crawford boxes in the left field. <laughs> yeah. But that's how you have to train. You have to train all those. Like, why was he able to do that? Because when he was a kid in the Dominican, they weren't selective. Yeah. Oh, it's up and away. I'm going to smash it. Oh, it bounced. Vlad Guerrero Sr. I'm going to hit that one, too. And you develop all these bat ball skills with this range of high and low pitches. That's the kind of hitter you have to be. So, for me – you do a lot more damage unless you're like a Joey Votto or somebody like that. That's really, you know, kind of drops that barrel and really tries to mm -hmm. get down to it. You're going to do a lot more damage on pitches from, you know, pitches, pitches at your belt, pitches at your belt should be hit out of the park right. or they should be hit for doubles. If you can't hit a 95 mile an hour fastball at your belt, then for me, you don't have much of a purpose in my lineup. Right now in 2021. Okay. okay. If you can't handle 95 at the belly button, yeah, we're going to practice that. Like, we're going to work on that. Now, if you can't handle 95 or 93 at the kneecap very well, okay. Like, can you fight it off with less than two strikes? Okay. You're, you're of service as long as you can destroy that thigh high mistake. But you know what? I think, okay. Let me, okay. But- you always hear announcers, analysts say, well, he went down and got that one. Yeah. Where I think it's, if you're a high level hitter or I shouldn't say high level, I don't know, above average hitter, Mitch yeah. Vado there. But if you're like a Jonathan India, if you're like a Vlad Guerrero, a mm -hmm. Bo Bichette, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, should I throw Harper in that mix? Sure. I never He's give decent. the guy, I don't give the guy enough credit. If you're like him or Freddie Freeman, who hasn't swung and missed in like 30 plate appearances in a row as of uh, what's today's date, July 24th, um, those, those guys get on plane with the pitch, with a high pitch, because they are above average hitters, because they have more consistent swing planes. Mm -hmm. But on low balls, your swing plane has to be intact. Not only do you have to sink into your legs, but you have to have a good swing plane. You can't get disconnected. So it's harder your value as a hitter goes up because it's harder to hit a low ball. No, it's harder to hit. A, that's why pitchers want it. That's where everybody wanted to throw. 
But even with the launch angle revolution, it's still harder to hit a low ball. No, because of what was taught over the last few years, which is turn the barrel behind you. So get the barrel down earlier. So if you get the barrel down early. Then why do guys still struggle with it so much? What's that? Why do guys still struggle with hitting the low ball so much? Because they don't throw the, well, that, that, that swing plate or that thought helped with a low pitch. Now, no, now guys are throwing a higher spin rate, higher velocity, higher. So that move doesn't work. So then what will happen is in three years, everybody will be nice and flat, staying on top of balls. And then pitchers are going to start sinking and throwing down again. Well, so let's dissect that really quickly. So mm-hmm. you're saying that that pitchers are not throwing as low anymore because they feel that hitters have a different type swing plane where they're dropping. Yeah, so, down. I mean, if you call it launch angle swing is what? Right. Hit the ball where? In the air. Right. So if we're trying to hit the ball in the air, where does our barrel have to be? I thought the, launch, I thought the launch angle from all the smart people that came up with it, it was supposed to be a swing that played for every spot, every zone. High, low, east, no, west. No, that's not what it is. Launch, launch, launch angle is. That's what they came up. I didn't say that. I'm saying oh, okay. that's what they came up with. It. I'm not saying that. Right, right. No, I'm just saying like if you people say, oh, I'm trying to create more launch angle. Like yeah. they're trying to create something above 20 degrees, right? Something okay. high. Okay. In order to hit the ball high, you got to be underneath most of the time of your swing. Okay. If the ball's coming in like this. You want your swing to be down here most of the time. If I'm a little late, I miss it. But at least yes. if I get it here, I'm hitting it in the air. I'm hitting it in the air. So we're staying underneath everything. So to stay underneath, you're trying to stay underneath a low pitch to do it. It's very easy to stay underneath. I'm going to watch. You know what? I still, I'm sorry. I, I'm still yeah. uh, going to, uh, and I didn't say that about launch angle. I want to make that clear yeah, to, yeah, you, yeah. To, to the audience that I didn't come up with that. From what I've read about launch angle, they like whatever. And it's not um, even a it's not even a damn swing. It's a launch angle is a result of what the right. ball and the bat are doing that collision course. Yeah. I want to do I'm gonna watch games this weekend and I'm going to see, I'm gonna to try to calculate how many guys hit low pitches. And I'm gonna use baseball savant. Oh. We, did an ep- we did an episode on baseball. Do it. We did an episode on baseball savant, didn't do we? It. It's bad, it's in the archives. Yeah. And I'm gonna see on that low pitch on baseball savant. The exit velocity. I sound like we sound like real geeks right now. We sound like those people on Twitter who use the you know, you know neurological things on the you know, talking about hitting. I'm going to figure out. I'm going to try to calculate the number of low pitches with an exit velocity of over. What would you say? 95. The guys hit over 95 in a, in a single game, and I'm going to figure out uh, my study. Yeah. I'm going to figure out my study and my research. And try to figure out if it is still hard, even with the launch angle, to hit a low pitch. Because I still think it is. And I'm going to figure it out. So it is, but it's also not as difficult to hit a low pitch hard because your hardest balls that are ever hit are ground balls. Okay. So, you know, I would say what – I look at it this way when I evaluate. Which pitch is easier to do damage on? A pitch at the knees – or a pitch at the top of the thighs. Which one's easier to hit a double on? I think top of the thighs. Top of the thighs, no doubt about it, right? So do you have a swing that will destroy We just looked and saw that pitchers miss their spots, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So if all of a sudden I can't hit a double on a pitch at the top of my thighs, eight out of ten times, then I don't deserve to be in a league. Mm. Okay, that's what we talked about, about destroying mistakes, right? Like, you're not going to destroy a pitch at the knees. You might hit a hard ground ball somewhere, 
but you're not going to have a lot of extra base hits, even though you hit it hard. So I would, I would urge you to look at maybe exit velocity, but maybe look at slugging percentage on pitches at the knee. See how many were hit for singles versus how many were hit for doubles. You're, you're urging me. It's urgent. Urging. I'm pushing you in that direction. I'm nudging you in that All direction. Right. Maybe next week I'll, I'll pick a game this week. I know you don't have much going on, so. No, I don't. I'll pick a game this week and I'll do it. Okay. We'll see. Right. See how high, and we'll calculate how high the slugging percentage in general. Um, anyway, before we bore everybody here, I want to get to our final, uh, one of our final segments. We have a, uh, a listener comment. We don't have questions today. We've got comments. Another listener comment. This comes to us from Jack from Paramus, New Jersey. Jack writes, Jim and Jake, this is a follow-up to last week's listener question. It's not a knock on Al or Jack Leiter. Just some background information regarding Jack's age and how he was able to get drafted out of college as a sophomore. Credit to his father, a major league veteran, for knowing what it's all about and helping his son. Some people do not know and become victims of the process. I think that's fair. We kind of touched on that last week, didn't we? Um, Lighter, born in Florida, grew up in Summit, New Jersey, and attended and played high school at some shitty high school in Morristown. <laughs> can't read the high school's name that's why that shitty um it's uh, called del barton high school if anybody knows where that is uh, jack by the way is giving us like an excerpt from his media guide here uh, a non-public school powerhouse lighter turned 19 in april of his senior year um you may remember these names you probably did um breakdowns on them his teammate one of his teammates in high school was anthony volp volp was a first round pick by the yankees out of high school and signed rather than go to vanderbilt with lighter he's currently in advanced a his other teammate, Sean Rapp, went to North Carolina and was a COVID redshirt freshman this past season. Volpe is a year younger than Leiter. Rapp is three months younger than Leiter. So it looks that Leiter was held back somewhere along the line, maybe be a result of moving around due to his father's career. Likely Rapp was held back too. Volpe was not. Hope this helps. Jack from Paramus, New Jersey. Jack, thank you for writing in at jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. Look, here's the deal, everybody. Let's just put an end to this right now. All right. You can get held back. I got held back. I went to what's called pre-first after kindergarten. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, I still remember my teacher's name. Her name rhymed. Wow. With, her name rhymed with Oreo. Her name was Mrs. Frorio. Huh. Very nice lady. She had an obs weird obsession with chickens. Like she always would read us stories about chickens. It was very huh. bizarre. Um, here's the deal, though. If you get held back and only gets you to a certain point, you still have to be able to play. I don't care what your age is. You're still going to have to be able to play. When Jack gets to the major leagues, who's he going to be pitching against? Guys younger than him, guys older than him. You're still going to have to be able to play. There. There's my take on it. What do you got? What do you got? Yeah, I mean, he was definitely held back. I mean, I have a kid with the same birthday, with a March birthday. Yeah. She'll be 18. She'll turn 18 in the middle of her senior year. Right. And she's on like she has a good birthday. Mm -hmm. So he's 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 not even borderline. You know, he was he was put into and, and again, boys are much more immature at a, at a young age. And so a lot of parents are like, they're not ready for kindergarten yet. Mm -hmm. um, and whatever it it worked out. Now, where is that an advantage in high school? He was a man. Right. I mean, he was a man in high school. He's he's competing against people that are 17 and he's 19 during the high school season. Mm -hmm. And they're probably both seniors because a lot of people could turn 18 like in June and still be a senior. So, 
you know, he was a full year and a half older than most people in high school. That's where it, it shows up. Then you get to college and you're a, you're, a, you're a man. So you have a better opportunity to play in college. College coaches do not care how old you are, right? They only care about how much eligibility you have. The major league draft cares how old you are. So if Jack would have gone back to college this year mm-hmm. for another year, and then they go to draft him and he's 22 as a junior, 22 and a half as a junior. Now they're like, well, he's, he's old. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like now all of a sudden he's not the prospect he was when he was, you know, 20 or 21. So whatever it, it worked out for him. He's, he's 21 years old now, right? He just turned 21 in April, 22. He'll be in the big leagues by the time he's 23. If he would have signed in high school at age, uh, you know, 19, he'd probably still be in the big leagues at age 23. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of the way it works out. The issue is it doesn't work out for everyone. Yeah. Like he was a freak that was going to be a big leaguer no matter what. It's just he had an easier path through college because he was so much better than every high school player growing up. And he was a little bit older growing up. I mean, you could read the book Outliers, right? They talk about, have you read that, Jim? I have not. Outliers. I mean, the first chapter is about the Canadian national hockey team. Mm-hmm. And they were all, they all have like January birthdays. Yeah. All their birthdays are in January because when their cut, the cutoff was December 31st. So they were always the oldest kids in the league, whether it was five year old, six year old, and seven year old, they were the biggest and the oldest. Mm-hmm. and why they were the best too because they were the biggest and the oldest and the best kids get the best coaching moving up so then they were on the 10 year old national team they had the best coaches and it's just kind of the process of you know if you're older you're going to mature faster than you know a 10 year old that just turned 10 versus a 10 year old about to turn 11 that's a huge difference physically and mentally for an athlete and unfortunately you know people kind of play that game a little more than they should yeah, because they think everybody's going to be a division one athlete and that's just not the case. All right. Well, um, I hope that we finally solved the mystery of Jack Leiter and people being held back. I mean, we've been going on this for now two weeks. It's been a storyline of the show for two weeks. Um, next week we dive into our top five hitting absolutes. And then the week after that Epson on vacation, we have a special co-host that we have not yet announced. But we do have a co-host who's going to fill the rap. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then uh, after that, I forget what we're doing. But we have Shohei. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure we're doing something. We're doing something. We have Shohei Otani coming up in August. We'll we'll break down his swing. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Oh no, he hits the low pitch. I'm gonna. There's a lot to figure out. Here. He hits every pitch. Yeah. Without using his legs. Yeah. Well, we're going to we'll break down him. I hope everybody enjoyed our mechanical breakdown series today, though. So next week, um, our top five hitting absolutes. And then um, after that, we have a special co-host. Because Epps going on vacation because, you know, he's a slacker. I'm just I'm kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Everybody did. I, I have not been on vacation along. Actually, I well, my life's a vacation. I live in Florida. Uh, what's coming up at the lab? You already mentioned earlier, but, you know, it's worth mentioning again. Ramping up, we uh, probably have some more mini camps coming up at the end of the summer. School starts soon, so we'll go back to our regular um, our regular classes mm-hmm. uh, over Christmas. Um, for those of you, I know Marcus is listening to this. Um, Oklahoma State, Marcus will be out. We'll still have our uh, our college camp where we do. I, I work with about six or eight kids that I've known for a long time, and we kind of prep them for the season. We'll do uh, baseball and softball for that sessions. 
Um, and then we have certification at the lab, like I said, October 16th, 17th. So be sure to get on, get on that. That'll be a fun, those are just the best events. They're fun. We, we meet good people. Uh, it's a lot of information, but I'll tell you what we've, it's so useful. You know, we talk about, you know, Bailey Hampton a lot and she's an all American. She's a great hitter. Well, you know, her dad came to certification, you know, her dad wasn't a hitting instructor, but he wanted to give her the best information possible. Yeah. And the countless of my players, the reason I, I told, told that kid in New Jersey is a really good player, Shay Grady. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad went through certification when he, when Shay was 10 or 11 years old and he just learned what to teach and what to stress about and what not to worry about. And so if there's one gift I can give parents, I don't care if you're a coach or not, or coaches is, um, you know, learn what information hitting wise is really important. And that will help your kid at age 14 mature and know what is fluff and, and, and what you don't have to worry about to make them successful. So anyway, sorry to blow off about that. There's just a lot of extra information people talk about with hitting. We talked about the, you know, four syllable words that don't mean a damn thing. Yeah. It happens. Those moves happen. They happened with uh, Willie Mays. And Babe Ruth, mm-hmm. but I don't think Babe Ruth thought about, you know, loading his rear hip flexor. Well, they didn't know what that was back then. Nice Somebody catch did. Mays. Nice didn't. catch, Mays. Don't ever do it again. That's right. All right. Thanks Way to clean it up. Thank you for listening and watching, everybody. We will talk to you next week. Don't forget to subscribe and like and all that. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Jim Tara at Epstein Hitting. Okay. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.